Chase Utley, it is very good to see you. And unusually for 20 Questions With, we're actually in the same room together rather than on Zoom. So that's a particular pleasure. We met because you are in England for a little while and perhaps you'll tell me why you're in England in a bit. But we met because we live in the same area and I've even played football with your sons. And it was just very exciting to meet someone who is such a massive name in sport and yet is someone I, I mean, I, I love sport. I'm hugely involved in it. But because I'm English and not American or Canadian, I know very little about baseball. And yet you are this major name in baseball. And you'll correct me, by the way, in my terminology if I get things wrong. <laughs> but I think you're a six-time all-star. And you'll have to explain in a minute what that means. I think you were, like, chosen as one of the key guys in a decades-long thing. And you're a World Series winner. And you are a four-time Silver Slugger Award winner. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. So this, in other words, is a big deal. And I'm not going to translate it into sort of cricket equivalents because I think it sounds impressive enough. Part of the point of this interview is to kind of get a sense for people who aren't into baseball, what it's all about, why we should be into baseball, but also then on your own terms, get a sense of why you got into it, what it was like, and I hope appeal to an American audience as well. So anyway, welcome to 20 Questions. Matt, first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm excited. We've been trying to figure out when to do this and we're here and I can't wait. So I'm a cricket lover. It's quite a complicated game to most Americans. If you weren't brought up with cricket, it's not the easiest sport to get involved in. How simple or complicated is baseball? And just in, in a few words, Tell us why it's such a wonderful sport. <laughs> Great question. Well, first of all, baseball to me is simple, along with many other Americans. But like you said, cricket can be confusing to us Americans and not, um, not over here. So um, there's a lot of um, similarities from a skill set standpoint. Obviously, you're, you're catching a ball, you're throwing a ball, you're, you're batting a ball. So the hand-eye coordination aspect uh, of the two sports are very similar. Obviously, the, some of the rules are, are quite different um, and the terminology is different. And I've tried to learn up on, on cricket and I'm watching it on TV now. I'm starting to kind of understand some of the terms and, and how it works. Uh, but depending on what format you're watching, now that I've realized there's several different formats, um, the game seems a little bit different. So maybe you can explain that to me at some point um, a little bit later on. Um, but I grew up playing baseball like you probably grew up playing cricket. I started playing at five years old, um, and it's just an introductory to baseball where you learn how to, you slowly learn how to catch, you slowly learn how to throw, you slowly learn how to hit, and, and learn the rules. And there are four bases in baseball. Um, home plate is where you're batting from. There's first base, was the first place you run. There's second base, obviously the second base you run, third base, and then you run back home. So once you get around the, the those those four bases, you score one run, um, and the team with the highest amount of runs scored after nine innings, um, and I, I'll explain what nine innings is in a second, um, wins the game. Each each team bats nine times, and once. The home team and the away team bats, that's one inning. And you do that nine consecutive times. Does everyone in each team bat or, is it, or do you have just batters? 
you have a 25 now, actually this year, 26 person roster, nine players are playing at one time. And you have a lineup, a designated lineup before the game. Every game is a little bit different depending on the team that you're on. But say, Matt, you are the leadoff hitter. You're going to bat first. I'm going to bat second. Um, once you bat and if you get on base or you make an out, now it's my turn. Um, and so on and so forth through, through the nine hitters. And then you go back to the top where you were hitting and you do that again. I, I would say the average amount of at-bats per game is about four. Um, four, sometimes five at-bats. But will your pitchers bat as well, or do your pitchers only pitch and your batters only bat? Great question. This may be a little confusing. This year is the very first year in, in the entire Major League Baseball that no pitchers bat. Um, there's a designated hitter for that pitcher. So there's one guy, typically a big guy that isn't super mobile. He will bat for the pitcher, um, and they'll put him in whatever, whatever slot the manager deems him in. Now, you are famous both for your hitting, but also for your ownership of second base, am I right? Correct. I was a, I was a second baseman. A second baseman, like I said, there's nine positions. There's three outfielders. The outfielders are playing as far away from the batter as possible. And then you have four infielders. You have a first baseman, a second baseman, a third baseman, and a shortstop. So a first baseman mans pretty much around first base. A second baseman mans in between first base and second base. A shortstop mans between second and third, and a third baseman mans kind of right around third base. You have a catcher who is behind, who essentially the pitcher or the bowler is throwing to, he's catching it. Um, and so yeah, I was a second baseman, so I was kind of in the middle of the field. Typically the shortstop, the second baseman, the center fielder, typically are a little bit more agile, if you will, than the guys on the corners. Now, you guys have gloves, right? We do have gloves. Does everyone on the fielding side have gloves or just the guys on the, on the, on the bases? Everybody has, a, every defensive player has a glove. And so a difference between rugby and rugby union, but also rugby league and American football is that in American football, they have helmets. And a difference between cricket and baseball, one of the many differences is that in cricket, only one guy or a woman, if it's a, a women's match, has, wears gloves. And that's the wicket keeper, the person who stands behind the batsman who's facing the ball. Whereas in baseball, everyone Correct. has a glove. And you would only attempt to catch the ball with your glove. You should. You should, otherwise it's going <laughs> to hurt, should. right? It, yes, it will hurt. Um, yes, and it's something that's developed over the course of time. Baseball was established in the, in the United States in the late 1800s. Um, and you look back at those gloves compared to gloves nowadays, they've changed quite a bit. They're obviously a little bit bigger, a little bit more sturdy, uh, and more surface area, if you will, in order to actually catch the ball. And if I were in the fielding size and I catch the ball when you hit it, that doesn't necessarily mean you're out, does it? If you catch it on the fly, if you catch it in, on a, a fly ball, that is an out. What does that mean on a fly Meaning ball? Meaning if, if, if the batsman hits it up in the air yeah. and the, any fielder catches it before it hits the ground, that that's, is a, out. that's an out. So that's the same as cricket. That's the same as cricket. So if the ball is hit on the ground, depending on who it's hit to, if 
the play is at first base, meaning it's hit to me as the second baseman on the ground. I field it. I now have to throw it to first base where the first baseman is standing. He catches it, steps on first base before the batter runs from home plate to first base. So there's so if, if the ball beats the runner to first base, it's also an out. Okay, now explain to us what it is like as a batter facing a pitch. How fast are they throwing it? In cricket, a top, top fast bowler would hit around 90 miles an hour and really, really quick. I mean, this summer in the Ashes, which is the famous series between mm-hmm. England and Australia, one of England's bowlers, Mark Wood, he came in in the third test, and that's the third game, and he bowled at 95 miles an hour. And, and that arguably changed the series. England were 2-0 down, and that made life more difficult for the Australian batsmen because they hadn't been used in the series to that sort of pace. That's pretty quick with a, with a leather ball coming down at yes. you. And I wonder, I mean, the, the helmets now are really quite, there's a lot of protection, including now for some helmets around the, the, the neck area, the mm-hmm. back. Whereas with you guys, the helmets are open from what I've seen, that you don't have a, a grill like you do now in cricket. I mean, go back a few decades, I mean, cricket people didn't have helmets. And, and that just seems to me today in 2023 to be bizarre. But how fast are they pitching it at you? And is the speed of the pitch the key weapon of the pitcher? Or can they move the ball? Because in cricket, you can get movement off the wicket and you can get movement in the air. That's, that's, called, that's called seam movement or swing movement. Give us a sense of what it's like facing this stuff and the different challenges. Yeah, so it, there are some, some big similarities in that. Obviously, the, the faster the pitcher throws, the more challenging it is to hit. Nowadays, there's a few pitchers that throw, there's several pitchers actually that throw over 100 miles an hour. Um, but if that's all they threw, if they only threw straight 100 mile an hour pitches, they would eventually be hit. So you need another pitch similar to like a spin, a spin pitch. And there's a few different types of pitches. There's a curveball, which has this big, big break on it. You have a slider, which has a shorter amount of break on it, but, it's, it's, but it, the pitch is thrown pretty hard. You have a changeup where it, it kind of acts, acts like a fast pitch, but it, it, it's a little bit slower. So it's visually deceptive. Um, but I mean, this is all pretty quick stuff, right? This is all pretty quick, yeah. I would say the average, fa- the average fastball uh, in, at major league level is 94, 95. That's probably on average nowadays. When I was playing 10 years ago, or when I was kind of in my prime, the average fastball was more like 91, 92. So it's, it's, it's crept up few miles an hour over the past 10 years. Do those differences make a difference? They do. They do. But I think it's all a matter of repetition, right? So from a batter, the more you see a certain speed of a pitch, the more comfortable you become at facing that. So, so say five years ago, guys, the pitchers really started developing their fastballs and throwing much, much harder. And it was challenging to hit. But now those same 98, 99-mile-an-hour fastballs aren't as challenging only because the, the batters have seen them over the course of five years. So does fear come into it? I, I guess that depends on the individual. So going back to what you said earlier about helmets, probably three decades ago, batters did not wear helmets, which, again, similar to you, is mind-boggling to me because guys are throwing 95 to 103 miles an hour, and if you get hit in the head with one of those pitches... 
it could be extremely dangerous. So there can be, there can be some fear um, depending on what's going on. I'll give you an example. This is not at the major league level, but my son, this was a few weeks ago, and there's a, there's a, there's a youth league outside of town that I got my son involved in, and there's, gonna, there's about to scrimmage. The game starts. My, I think my son was up third or fourth of that inning, and the very first batter of the game gets hit in the elbow by a pitch. And, the kid, and this, this is 11, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, and he falls down, and he's rolling around, and he's obviously hurt. And my son immediately turned around and said, yeah, Dad, I don't think I'm going to hit today. I said, what do you mean? He's like, I don't feel comfortable hitting. This kid is rolling around on the ground. He's, he, clearly it hurts. So that he was obviously in that situation a little scared. Um, but once you get to the major league level, if you are scared, you're going to have a hard time having success. So you eliminate that, at least for myself, you eliminate that thought process and dig in and whatever happens, happens. You used a word that I don't know, which is scrimmage. Scrimmage. So to explain what that is. Practice. A practice okay. A right. practice game. So just to explain why they don't have visors then. A facial visor. So over the past five years now, if you watch some major league games, you have a helmet that covers typically only one ear, the ear that's facing the pitcher. And now they have a, a mechanism that they can strap, that they can put on the helmet that almost covers your chin a little bit. So it gives you a little bit more protection. There's been a few guys that have been hit in the face over the past few years. Um, and so this, this type of helmet is, is becoming much more um, tolerable and used um, just to create a little bit more protection. Does the pitcher have to pitch the ball in a certain zone for it to be a legal delivery? Great question. Uh, yes, yeah, so for an, an at-bat, meaning you're up, very first pitch is thrown, there's an umpire that stands behind the catcher who is similar to the wicket keeper, and he determines if it's a ball or a strike, meaning a strike is, is a pitch that is thrown in an in area that is deemed hittable. Right. Right? Strike, three strikes are out. So you swing one, two, three, all, and you miss them all, you're out, next batter's up. Four balls, you walk, meaning you go to first base. Right, so whatever happens first, you either strike out, you walk, you, you hit the ball somewhere. Those are the those are the different outcomes of an at bat. Um, so you have an umpire calling balls and strikes, and typically that the strike zone is from your knees to your a little bit above your belly button, and also as wide as home plate. Home plate is the base that is there, which is 17 inches wide, and so if it's if it crosses over that 17 inch wide plate between your knees and your a little bit above your belly button, that is a strike. And that's where three strikes and you're out, the expression comes from, Correct. I'm sure, from, ba from baseball. Yes. I want to talk about the physicality of baseball because most people would assume it's a non-contact sport. But as part of my preparation for this interview, I obviously looked up Chase Utley on YouTube and there was a clip of you diving in towards your base, I think. And I think you made contact with a batter whose leg was broken. Yeah. So it can be physical, is that right? And, and did they change the rules after that incident? Yeah, so I mean, baseball has evolved so much over the past 150 years. Um, it was not necessarily a gentleman's game initially. Uh, there was a lot of contact, there were plays 
few different areas where guys would run into each other. Um, one would be at second base and one would be at home plate. And if there is, if the ball is being, if you're trying to score, you, you come around third base and you're trying to score and touch home plate before the ball beats you, there's obviously the catcher is there waiting to receive the ball who has padding. He's got a big helmet on, he's got a chest protector, he has knee guards, and his job is to not allow you to score. So a lot of times they will block the plate and therefore you have nowhere to go other than into the catcher. So there was a lot of collisions at home plate. Um, the other area which I mentioned is at second base. So there's, there's several times in a game where you are in a double play situation, meaning there's a runner on first base and a ground ball is hit to the infield. You, you have a chance to get two outs in one play. So you, the ball is hit to the third baseman, say. The third baseman now throws it to the second baseman who's covering second. The runner from first is going to second. The second baseman catches it, touches the base, throws it to first before the batter gets the first. That's two outs, which is a huge play in baseball if you can get two outs in one play. As a runner, your job is to not allow that to happen. You are to, you're, you go into second base to try to disturb the second baseman who's trying to catch it and also throw it to first. Um, and going back to what I said before, that has been a topic of debate for several years. Back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, there were some huge collisions at second base where the runner would just essentially tackle the second baseman and not allow, not allow him to throw it. There's nothing in the rule book that says you can't do that. Um, but nobody likes to get tackled, right? So everyone, there, there's some tempers that flare in those situations, um, but it wasn't against the rules per se. Um, the instance you're talking about was a similar instance. I'm going into, I'm the runner on first, I'm going to second base to try to break up this double play. I slide hard like you're taught to do, and he, he didn't get out of the way like most shortstops or second basemen are taught to do. And we collided at kind of an awkward point for him and, and, and had a, he had a small stress fracture in his tibia because of that. I felt terrible. I was doing my job as a base runner, but obviously you feel terrible because you don't want anybody to be injured. Um, so that was against the New York Mets. And so therefore, ever since then, the New York Mets fans just have not been a big fan of me. And I, I understand why, but again, I was doing my job, and, but I did feel bad for it. And did they change the rules after that? So yes, there was something that they've been, they were talking about doing for actually a few years prior to that, and that was kind of icing on the cake. How do you have to prepare as a baseball player physically? Because you know, we're sitting here, I don't know, what are you, 6'3", 6'2"? 6'1". 6'1", okay. But you're, you look like a strong guy. And I'm interested to know how strong you actually have to be, how fit you have to be, the different types of conditioning that you might do. How does it compare to American football? I mean, in American football, like with rugby, you have different shapes and sizes. Basketball, you have a, a lot of very tall guys. What's the deal with baseball? You mentioned that earlier that one guy might be really quite big and then and, and he bats instead of the pitcher now what was the deal for you what was what was your weekly training like well I, I mean I think going back to your question it is it has some similarities to rugby in, ter in terms of body sizes 
it, it's kind of all over the board. You have the biggest guy at Major League Baseball level, level is about six foot seven, 270 pounds. And the smallest guy is probably five foot six, 150 pounds, right? So there's a huge fluctuation and difference of size. And it really depends on what position you are playing. Um, like I said kind of before, the corner guys that play along the, the corners, the first baseman, the right fielder, the third baseman, the left fielder, those guys have the, the ability to be bigger. Therefore, they're probably not quite as quick or as fast, but because they're bigger and most likely stronger, they have the ability to hit the ball harder and they're, therefore farther and, and be really productive as an offensive player. So depending on the position, I was, I was kind of in between that. I was a second baseman, which typically, starting from the beginning of baseball up until about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, that was a predominantly defensive-minded position where you want to, your second baseman is usually the little guy. He bats in the top of the order. He's really quick. He doesn't really have any power, meaning he doesn't hit the ball over the fence, um, but he's very good defensively. Now that, that has changed over the past 20 years or so. Uh, now second basemen are a little bit more physical. They have the ability to hit the ball over the fence. They're a little bit more offensive-minded. And I would consider myself kind of in that category. Um, I was a pretty good defender, but I, was, I really excelled hitting the baseball. So would you do weights? Yes, yes. I think, for me, and this is my opinion, I would imagine a lot of people would sync up to this trying to become the best athlete you can be. So whatever that means to you. So for me, that was running sprints, that was weight training, trying to get my legs as strong as possible, but still agile and create and still have mobility and still have explosive quickness. Because so I think that's very, very important um, at that, that level. So I was always trying to get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster. Now, I wasn't necessarily getting a ton stronger, a lot faster, but I, that was the mindset that I took in order to have the success that I did. I don't know whether any of this comes across in the interview, but London is not an easy place to do an interview because <laughs> there are so many noises. There's hedge cutting, there are dogs, there's emergency services vehicles, it's all going on. As someone who no longer plays professional baseball, has it been a challenge to keep in good shape, which you obviously are in? What's it like stepping down from many years of seriously high level physical intensity. How, how do you make sure that you don't, as it were, sort of let it go? <laughs> a great question and still trying to figure that out. Obviously not playing anymore. The, the motivation to stay in shape and stay fit isn't quite there as it was, right? There was a reason why I was spending so much time in the gym and working out is because I was seeing the light and the tunnel, I knew the more I did it in the gym, the better I would perform in the field. Now there's no performance on the field. So now for me, it's just about feeling good about myself. So yes, I still train not to the nearly to the extent that I did. Um, but everyone is a little bit different. Everyone transitions out of out of sport in a different way. I would imagine you've seen some footballers that still stay in great shape. You see them five, 10 years later and they look like a, they could still play. And then there's probably other guys that you see, they go, well, they really let themselves go. They've sat on the couch. They haven't done a, done a whole lot. I don't want to be that guy. So trying to stay as active as possible, but still have the ability to live life and enjoy a beautiful city such as London. So do you still lift the same amount of weight? And 
has your lifestyle changed markedly? I mean, when you were playing baseball, just for example, would you drink? Would you watch what you ate? And do you do those things now? Right. So one thing I didn't mention, so base, a typical, a, every baseball season, you play 162 games over the course of six months. That's a, that's a normal schedule. And then if you excel, you, you go to the playoffs, and then you can play another 10 to 20 games, depending on how far you go. So there's a lot of games to be played. So you're playing essentially every single day. The average day off is one day every two weeks. You don't have a game. That's so it's, completely different to the sports that I've been brought up with. Yeah, it is completely I mean, that's unthinkable in football or soccer, as you'd say in America. It's unthinkable with cricket. It's unthinkable with rugby. It is. And from, from a football-soccer standpoint, it's the cardiovascular conditioning. You don't need that much in baseball. Obviously, these guys are running for 90 minutes, nonstop, full sprints, which ex- could be extremely tiring. So they need that recovery period in order to play the next game. Where baseball, there are certain short bursts that you're making you still have to be athletic, you have to be in decent shape, but you don't have to have the cardio, cardiovascular strength that, that a football player has. And to answer your question, no, I do not lift um, the same amount of weight as I did. I was 10 to 15 pounds heavier when I was playing than I am now. So I've lost some weight, which is great. It's, it's good for my body as I age, um, less stress, less weight. I think overall, it'll be better for me as I, get, as I continue to get older. Um, but I still try to stay fit, less weight, probably more reps if you really want to get into it than I did before, less power movements. Power movements can put a lot of stress on your lower back and your, and your shoulder joints, so I want to make sure that I can still play golf when I'm 70 years old. And the drinking and eating thing, I mean, does, is that relaxed? And, and how strict were you as a player? Everyone's different, so me personally, when you're young, when you're, my first year in the major leagues was 23, when you're young, you can kind of eat and do what you want and get away with it. At a certain point, time catches up with you. So at, at probably at the age of 30 or so, that's when I really transitioned my diet um, and how I took care of my body. So yes, I would, I would really watch what I ate. Um, boring. It wasn't that, that much fun. But yeah, I, I felt like the better I treated my body with what I put into it, the better, um, the better output I, I got from it. So yeah, I was... Ate pretty pretty lean during the off season. I would eat a little bit more to try to gain as much weight because through the course of those six months, seven months of the season, I would lose ten pounds or so, uh, just because you're playing so often. So I tried to bulk up and get as heavy as I could in a good way without getting fat. Um, it's because I knew I was going to lose some weight over the course of the year. And as from a drinking standpoint, I think it, it you can do it in moderation. Um, it, I've had several teammates, some guys that. I've never touched a sip of alcohol. Some guys that should probably never touch a, touch a sip of alcohol. Uh, I'll probably in the middle have, go out, have a nice, have a beer with the guys, have, have a nice glass of wine at dinner. Um, I think anything is okay in moderation. What is it like stepping out? Because you, you spent the majority of your career in Philadelphia with the Phillies. And then you ended up with the LA Dodgers. And that's obviously in LA. And you were brought up in, in California. What's it like stepping out in front of a, a Phillies crowd? And what's it like, you know, what is it, 40-odd thousand people there? I, mean, I think in LA it's sort of 50-odd thousand. Yeah. Similar to cricket, bigger than the biggest cricket grounds in, in England, but smaller than some of the football grounds, smaller than Twickenham, the rugby, mm-hmm. where, where England play rugby. What's it like stepping out in, in that atmosphere? 
and what was it like playing for a team that was not your hometown that was you know was Philadelphia's the other side of America from California give us a sense of that the identity side but also the pressure and maybe the excitement right and and do you miss that buzz because I can imagine that's quite a hard thing to let go of yeah so growing up in southern I grew up in southern California right outside of Los Angeles and I was a Los Angeles Dodgers fan as a kid so my dad would take me to Dodger games growing up all the way through through high school and then I was drafted meaning picked by the Phillies so where, where's Philadelphia? Okay, it's in Pennsylvania. I've never been there before, but you're kind of on a journey, right? So went to Philadelphia, played there, and it is a different culture. It, it's, a, it's obviously the same sport, but a, a little bit different mindset from a fan's perspective. I think you've spent some time on the East Coast, so you know, but the East Coast of the U.S. is very, very diehard die their sports, whether that be baseball or, or basketball or American football. They, they live and breathe their sports. So they're extremely passionate. They will cheer for you. They will cry for you. But they would also yell at you if you're not playing well. So I think I got, I think I got lucky having the, the chance to play in both, both coasts. Um, so I saw a, a little bit of everything. Very passionate fans in, in Philadelphia. We had some really successful teams in Philadelphia. So anytime myself or any of my teammates go back to the city, we're, welcome, we're very welcomed. Um, and then my last four years, I was able to play for the team that I grew up supporting, which was pretty, pretty amazing to end it that way. And playing in Los Angeles is something that growing up as a fan, it's like your, your dream, right? So putting on a Los Angeles Dodgers uniform, something that my first baseball game I went to, I was like eight or nine years old, right, at, at Dodger Stadium. And it was just amazing. And, and a different fan base, still passionate, still loves their baseball. Um, but there's a lot of, there can, there's many more distractions on the West Coast, especially in LA. You have movie industry. Um, you obviously have your sports teams. There's a lot going on. So, for instance, a Phillies game in Philadelphia, the very first inning, first pitch, there's 45,000 people there screaming and yelling. Dodger Stadium, there's... First pitch in the first inning, there's 30,000 people. But by the third inning, now you have 45 to 50,000 people screaming, right? So they're a little, they were a little bit late starters, um, but both amazing organizations to play for. I played in four World Series, two with the Phillies, two with the Dodgers. Um, overall, it was a lot of fun. Let's focus on the pressure and the excitement and the adrenaline. You step out. What, what number did you bat? I was... A lot of my career, I batted third. I was okay. the third batter of the game. And just very quickly, and this is sort of a question within the question, so it doesn't count, but what would make one person bat at three and another bat at one? Because in cricket, there's quite an important difference. Yeah, so similar with baseball. So usually the, the, your leadoff batter, your guy that's batting first, gets on. he has the ability to get on base, and he's fast. He has the ability to steal a base. So that's when the pitcher makes a pitch to, to the to the catcher, the runner from first can run to second before the catcher can throw it to second. Um, so you have your first hitter and your second hitter have very similar traits. Now, starting at your third, fourth, and fifth hitters, those guys are guys that are supposed to dr to hit the other guys in. So you have the ability to hit a home run, hit it over some, hit it over the outfielders' heads. Typically, your third hitter is a hitter that 
you have a lot of faith in. Not that the other guys you don't, but typically that's how it kind of stacks up. Your fourth and fifth hitters are guys that really have the ability to drive the ball over the fence uh, for home runs. So there was, there was pressure and expectation on you, obviously at the elite level, but the position at which you batted, there was quite a bit of responsibility on you. So just talk to us about that pressure and, and all the excitement and, and, as I say, the adrenaline. And is there anything that comes close, that can come close in your, in your sort of work life, in your professional life, to that. I mean, some, some players, regardless of the sport, might go into commentary, might go into presenting. There's the buzz of live radio, the buzz of live TV. You might go into management and coaching. I'm yet to meet many people who've done that and think that that actually replicates the doing of it, the, the being the player. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think there's anything that can really mimic that adrenaline rush and that excitement of playing playing a sport live in front of 40,000 people. I don't think there's anything, whether it's going back to what you're saying, commentary. Yeah, you might get a little nervous before you go on air, but so be it. Um, Where when you have 40,000 people either screaming your name for you to do well or screaming your name to do terribly. Um, There's something in that that gets your juices flowing and the the adrenaline going that, that... you can't recreate. And I don't, I don't anticipate finding anything that will recreate that for me, but I'm okay with that. I was, I ended my career on a, on a, on a good note. I was the, I was able to walk away from a game that I loved and played for so long on my own terms, which not a ton of guys have do. So I was happy and comfortable with making that decision and I left it all on the field and, and so be it. How did you become a baseball player, a professional and was it always obvious to the people around you growing up? Um, I grew up probably similar to most kids growing up in the States or here. You, you gravitate towards what is around you, what your friends do. So I grew up in a neighborhood that kids played baseball, right? So sure, I'm going to play baseball and participate. And I was okay. And so I, I stuck with that. I was also loved playing basketball. So I played basketball and baseball were two of the sports that I enjoyed doing the most amongst riding my bike and playing street hockey and doing things like that. But I spent most of my time playing baseball and basketball and I just slowly progressed at it and stuck with it and enjoyed it and put a lot of time and effort into trying to get better. And I go back and look at my 12 year old self and if I were to watch my 12 year old self play, I'd go, I would say, oh, he's a pretty good player. He doesn't stand out. He's kind of a little guy. There's other guys on the team that are much bigger and stronger and therefore better. Great. And then you go to my, I look at my 14 year old self. I would still kind of say the same thing. Oh, he's pretty good. He can catch, he can hit, he's got a good swing. He can hit a little bit, but again, he's not, he's kind of little and scrawny. And then now you fast forward to when I was 18 is when I started to grow that's when I really started going through puberty and growing and getting stronger and going to the weight room and lifting weights and, and just trying to be a better athlete. Now that's at that point is when I think I started separating myself a bit from my peers. And I was able to earn a scholarship to go to UCLA. So I played it at UCLA for three years, which is in the baseball world is kind of standard. If you're a good player, you play for three seasons in college and then you are drafted by a major league team and then you go off and play for them. So that's what I did. The Phillies drafted me, as you know. And I kind of continued 
that path of trying just trying to become better every year whether it was focusing on my on my weaknesses or get or again trying to build strength and quickness and athleticism it's a very interesting way to hear an athlete describe their progress looking back at your 12 year old self or your 14 year old self so to condense that how much and obviously you can't be accurate in percentage terms but how much of your success derived from hard work and how much derived from talent? I would say 80% of my success was from, from hard work. I had some skills, right? I, could, I had a good swing, but I, if I was, didn't grow and I didn't get stronger, that good swing wouldn't have really mattered. So I think, yeah, maybe even higher than 80%, to be honest with you. I think I worked, I worked extremely hard with a focus on trying to, like I said, boring, but trying to become a better player every, every day. And I know that you know that's not totally realistic, but that was kind of the mindset that I had. Um, and I felt like I got the most out of my natural ability that way. Like cricket, I imagine that baseball is, part of the appeal of baseball is that it is both a team sport, but also an individual sport. And clearly it's full of statistics, again, like cricket. And I'm curious to know, I said in my introduction that you're a four-time Silver Slugger award winner, but you're also a World Series winner. What did those two statements mean to you? Did it mean more to win as a team, to win the World Series? Did it mean more to be a star within a top team? So winning those Silver Slug awards, and just explain what it is to, right. to win a Silver Slug award. Right. First of all, a, sil a Silver Slugger award is given to the best offensive player at each position. Right, first baseman. There's a silver slugger, first baseman, second baseman, so on and so forth. So yeah, I was I won the silver slugger award, which is voted on, I believe, by the managers or coaches of all of Major League Baseball. Um, so yes, I was the best, according to them, the best offensive second baseman for separate seasons. Um, I you mentioned All Star team. I made the All Star team, which is voted on by the fans. And every year, halfway through the season, there's an all-star game. So six, six weeks before the all-star game that happens in July, they send out these ballots and the fans vote. And whoever the fans essentially vote for play in this all-star game. And every team has to be represented, but usually it's the best players in the league play one game televised at a designated ballpark. It's a, it's a good it's a great honor to be selected as an all-star. That's and a big deal. It's a yeah, it is a big deal. Everyone everyone wants to become an all-star. Is that like the second biggest event of the year or of the calendar after the World Series or is it even bigger than that? It's not bigger than the World Series in my opinion. Um, the All-Star game is under the World Series, but it's a great honor. It's it's a time where you have 4 days off in the middle of the season and if you don't make the All-Star team, you go on vacation, whatever you do for four days, and then you come back and play. If you do make the All-Star game, you obviously go and, and you play in it and represent your team and your city. Um, but it, like I said, it was a, gr a great honor to be selected to do that. Just before you go on and address this point about individual accolades versus team accolades, I'm, I'm not quite clear on the Silver Slugger Award. Is, is that for being a baseman or is that for being a batter? Silver Slugger is for being a batter. Right, but every a batter plays a position. Okay. So every batter plays 
some position other than a designated hitter, but I don't want to muck it up because that'll get confusing. So you have essentially eight positions other than the pitcher out on the field. And a silver slugger of war, like I said, is voted on by the managers of the best offensive, meaning best hitter, at every second baseman is put in the category that plays second base, and they go, who's the best one? And they vote on it. And they do that with every single position out on the field. So, so was your this is after the, the season is over, yeah. then this, this voting happens. But was your position as a batter fixed at three, or as a second baseman, could you move around the order? You can move around the order. But you can't move from base to base, or you can? You, great question. You, there are some guys that play different positions depending on the game. There's, nowadays, managers have the ability to they make a new lineup every day, meaning... Matt, today you're playing second base, right? And then maybe tomorrow you might be playing first base. It doesn't happen a lot, but there's a few guys, they're called, um, what are they called? They're called versatility players. Right. So they have the ability to play in the outfield, infield. They can kind of play a lot of different positions well. I was mainly, I played second base 95% of the games that I played. I played first base a few because our first baseman got hurt. Um, so going back to the silver slugger, it's, a, it's an award given to you after the season ends by the managers. And also the World Series. The World Series is, the, in my opinion, the ultimate pinnacle of success. Um, not necessarily individual success, but team success. And that's what cemented you as a, and others as heroes in Philadelphia because you won the World Series for the Phillies. Yeah, there's, only, there's one winner every single year. And... It's hard to get to the World Series. It's not easy. There's a lot of great players and great teams in, in baseball, and you have to have, obviously, talented teams, teams that have the ability to persevere because over a six-month period, there's a lot of different things that, that can go on. Um, and you have to have a little bit of luck on your side, too. The ball has to bounce favorably for you at times. Um, and, yeah, we played in 2008 with the Phillies. We beat the Tampa Bay Rays in five games. It's a best-of-seven series, and we beat them in five games and it, that to me is my ultimate career highlight so that's bigger the team achievement is bigger for you yes for sure what about the glamour and the glitz and the celebrity of all this because you were known i think as the silver fox which <laughs> presumably is partly because you went gray, gray way early, too early right yes. but also because people thought you were handsome how does that work because i mean, you've been married now to your wife for a while you've got two boys how do you as an individual, sort of cope with the level of fame that you had and being famous, obviously, primarily for being a highly talented and successful sportsman, but also because of the overall Chase Utley package, presumably. How does that work? <laughs> Honestly, I didn't really think about it that much. When you're playing in your home city, yes, you, you get recognized, you get more attention than I would if I walked down the street in Chicago or St. Louis or Detroit, um, and you appreciate, you appreciate being recognized because it feels like, it feels good, you're doing something right. Um, as far as the stardom, I didn't, I was definitely not the first one to raise my hand or do an interview. I tried to, I tried to roll under the radar as much as possible, but it's, it's not possible to do that at, at that level. Um, and I just, I treated it very professionally and business-like. Um, every day was a new day. I went in, and I went in to work every single day. I did what I needed to do and to get myself ready to perform that evening. 
and that evening's over, the game's over, win or lose, we just do it all over the next day. Um, very repetitious, very monotonous, but for a sport that I grew up playing at five years old, have the, having the ability to play until essentially almost 40 years old, was I feel truly lucky. Did it, and this is my penultimate question, and I'm going to ask you about London. Did being the star that you are, has being the star that you are, opened the door for you? If you'd wanted to live a sort of a celebrity lifestyle, if you'd wanted to get reservations at restaurants, if you wanted to go to the big parties and all that sort of stuff, give us a sense of what came, what could have come with your success had you wanted it. And maybe, did, you, I mean, you, you say you went under the radar a bit with interviewing and so forth, but did you, were there perks that you enjoyed? <laughs> there's, yeah, there's always perks, especially when you're dealing with, with, with fans. So, I mean, to answer a little bit more specifically your question, yeah, in, in, in Philadelphia, in Los Angeles, um, I feel like I have a good chance of getting a reservation at a preferred time. I don't know, I can't say 100%, but I feel like I would lean towards yes on that one. Um, I don't take advantage of everything my wife wishes I probably would take advantage of it a little bit more. But I, I, I look at it, if, if there's something that I really, that we really want to do, either individually or as a family, and if I, I have the ability to find someone and make a call and probably have it, have it work out. Um, but I pick and choose wisely when, when I do that. So what do you make of London? What are you doing here? And give us a sense of what it's like being Chase Utley outside of baseball. Yeah, so we've been here now, as you know, Matt, we've been here for about a year. And this is a, was a move that we made that we started discussing probably about three or four years ago after I retired. My wife voiced to me, she was like, listen, our kids are young. You don't have a real job anymore, right? Um, where it's going to take you away from us like it did over the course of the, of, of the 16 years that I played. Um, and was that hard, by the way? That The intensity of that six-month period and being away and being it, in other it, cities? It was, it was quite challenging. Early, when you're young and without a family, it's not as challenging, right? Now, once you... I married my wife in 2007, so we've been married quite a long time. We started having kids in 2011. So once... once having kids came into the picture, it became a little bit more challenging for me, but more for her, right? Now she's has to be much more responsible and on top of things because I am traveling every other, every other week I'm gone. So I'm home for a week, typical schedule. I'm home for a week, gone for a week, so on and so forth over seven months. So there puts a lot of responsibility on her plate. So it was kudos to her for having the ability to sort one kid, then two kids, and dealing with me not being around, that, that was very challenging for her. So now that I have the ability to not play, she's saying, okay, we've, we've missed out, we have missed out on some traveling over the course of your career, because our off season is three months long in the middle of winter, which limits your, your pl the places that you can go to find sunshine, which we both love. Um, is the other three months then, just to complete the 12 month period, the other three months is training, is it? Yes, it's training. There's not a ton of downtime. There's probably a two or three week window once the season ends where you can maneuver and not really focus on baseball, but then you have to get back into it. So it was essentially a year round, year round job. Um, so anyways, to go back to what I was saying, it was something that she said, let's go live somewhere else. We have this time. 
let's go take advantage of this, this free time. And for me, as a, a person of routine and due diligence, that's kind of, kind of out of my comfort zone, right? I was very routine oriented. I knew where I needed to be at this time. I knew what I was gonna eat at this time, so on and so forth. So this was something that it took me a second to wrap my head around. And I, then we just talked about it more and more and realized how, how great of an experience it would be, not only for my wife and I as a couple to do this, experience this, but also for our kids who are, who were at the time were six and nine, and we can maneuver them a little bit more than we could say when they're 14 and 18, we have to kind of get some stability at that point. So, all right, let's do this. Where, where do we want to go? So we kind of brainstormed and we kind of circled Europe. We wanted the ability to travel around Europe and expose our kids to different countries and different cultures and traveling because that's something that you can't teach. You, you can't get that unless you really have that full experience. And London made complete sense because obviously fairly central to any country in Europe and there's no language barrier. We had a couple sets of friends here, but not many. And so that's, we're gonna go to London. We're gonna pick up shop out of Los Angeles and we're gonna move to London for a year. Maybe we're gonna be there longer, but at least we're gonna be there a year. We're gonna put our kids in school. We're gonna travel as much as possible and create a, a fantastic experience. And now we are on year two of that uh, adventure. And so far, so good. But you're not involved in selling the idea of baseball, so. So yes. So part. So part of. Part of the thing that we needed to do to make this work was, needed a visa to to do this, which, which, I was completely naive to the fact that that was what I needed. But anyways, I reached out to Major League Baseball, who has an office here in London, and said, so "This is what we are doing. Thinking about doing as a family. I would love to get involved with what you guys are doing on the ground in London." Do you think we can make something work? And they said absolutely. So I am the I am the major league ambassador to Europe is my title, and I'm here to promote baseball whenever needed. Um, obviously, they have like I mentioned, they have an office here that essentially oversees the two games every summer that are played here. This past year, the Chicago Cubs and St. Louis Cardinals played two games at London Stadium. Amazing success, both games sold out, great atmosphere, good baseball, but just the overall atmosphere from a fan's perspective was fantastic. Uh, we're doing another game next year. The Phillies and Mets are coming to town in June, which is gonna be fantastic. Obviously, I'm a little biased because I played in Philadelphia for so long, but I can't wait for them to come over here and experience London and, and play baseball in the UK. Um, so yes, I. Speaking at coaches' clinics, I'm talking to the youth. I'm trying to help in any possible way I can. And here you are talking to me. I'm here. Spreading the word. And just a cheap final thought. I mean, cricket is a game that is not played universally around the world. Football is played much more broadly, much more widely. Why has baseball struggled to sort of get out of America, Canada? I think they play in Japan. I mean, is there hope for, is there a desire for from baseball's point of view to spread itself around the world? Yeah, there's, there is desire to spread it. it like you said, it's, it's big in the United States. It's big in Canada. It's big in Latin America, also big in Asia. Japan has a league. It's big in Korea, a little bit in China. Um, but it hasn't really penetrated Europe mm. much. Um, I think one big roadblock is football here because they're so passionate and it's been around for so long. And 
there's so many different teams to follow, which looking, I was completely naive to the fact there were so many football teams, um, not only in the UK, but all around Europe. Um, I just, for, for whatever reason, I knew the Premier League, right? Like everyone knows the Premier League, but the, the, the amount of levels below that it was is mind-boggling and the support it's a, it's the, amazing the it truly it truly support. is amazing but the fa- i mean as you know the the fan base here in the UK and around Europe is extremely passionate they love their football um, they also love their cricket and it, the the thought is to to try to slowly implement the game of baseball here in the UK because it is a great sport it has like we've talked about today, it has a lot to offer from a team perspective, from an individual perspective. It's not a prototype body type, right? You have mm. big round guys that can't run and you have little guys that are extremely quick. So it, it can appeal to a lot of different types of people. Um, the hand-eye ability is there, which I, I'm a big promote, proponent of um, trying to get as much out of the hand-eye coordination as possible. I think it just bodes well as you, as you age. And it's a fantastic sport. So obviously I grew up playing it. I love it. Um, It'd be amazing, wouldn't it, from a a baseball fan's point of view, if the World Series became what we would commonly know as a World Series event. And you had to have America having to go up against, you know, an an American national team, maybe. Or or it could be the Phillies, but playing against... Australia's best team or, or England's best team or, you know. Yeah, the majority of the, the best players come to the States to play, but I completely agree with you. This year they had essentially the World Cup for baseball. Um, it's called the World Baseball Classic. They had it in March and every country, not every country, but you have to qualify. And actually the Great Britain team qualified to play in this. They were, in the, they were one of the best 16 teams in the world. Um, they played okay. I think they held their ground pretty well. Did America win? Japan won this year. Japan beat America in the finals, which was a fantastic game. But it just goes to show, going back to Great Britain, that baseball is slowly becoming something over here, and I'm excited for it. Chase Sutley, thank you very much for answering my 20 questions. My pleasure.